From the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. It is 9.06. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We really do appreciate it. I am your host, Jake Skorheim. And uh, listen, if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to the first two hours of the show, it's okay. I forgive you. You don't need to beg and plead forgiveness. It's not a big deal. Just download the podcast. Look up Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim wherever you get your podcast. We will deliver the show directly to you, free of charge, crystal clear HD. It's fantastic. Put in your earbuds, and it's like I am inside your head. Just imagine this raspy voice talking to you for three hours. Lucky, lucky you. All right, let's get right into it. We did a story earlier. I want to cover it again because I actually found this story to be just delightful and kind of funny, and I thought you guys would be delighted by it too, and maybe even laugh a little bit at the story. New York City, as most big cities, is dealing with a lot of stuff right now. They're dealing with crime. They're dealing with drugs. Uh, We've seen videos on the internet about cops literally getting beaten up in the streets. It's a bad place a lot of the times. They're dealing with a lot of issues. So how is the New York Police Department dealing with these issues? How are tough NYPD cops isn't that where Bruce Willis is from in uh, uh, in uh, Die Hard? Isn't he a tough New York City cop? So how are they dealing with it these days? It used to be John uh, McClane in Die Hard. What are they doing now? Well, there's a little softer side to the NYPD now. They are actually performing a dance troupe. They're sending them around. It's just a great way for them to reach out to the community. Apparently, uh, they were on PIX11, which is a news station in New York. They talked to some of these dance troupe members. This is how they introed that. So when they are not serving and protecting the community, these members of the NYPD like to bust a move. Oh, yes. Okay. They are the NYPD dance team, and they are looking for a few good people who share their passion for dancing. (laughs) They like to bust a move and who share their passion for dancing. Here's what I ask of you, Seattle, because we were talking about this uh, a little earlier with Kate Stone. We were talking about um, Mayor Bruce Harrell was, uh, he just recently gave a kind of the state of the city talking about the uh, state of Seattle. I think Seattle needs to start one of these dance troops. Like I've been out on the streets in Seattle. I have seen the rampant drug use. In fact, I was Jason Rance, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, was just showing me this video out his office window in the very building that I'm in right now of a guy just doing fentanyl on the side of the road, just like right there. It's so commonplace. He showed me, he goes, hey, look at this. And I went, oh, hey, there's a, like a guy doing fentanyl. I was not even surprised by it. That's how commonplace it is now. So what Seattle needs to do is they need to start a dance troupe and they need to get this dance troupe out on the streets immediately engaging with their audience, engaging with people on the streets, show them some dance moves, right? Just like the Jets. Make an impact, make a difference. Uh, Pix11, again, New York Station in New York and a, a, a news station, they talked to these dance troupe members and they asked them why. They didn't say it like that. They said, why do you do this? And where do you do this? So the goal of the team is to make sure that we have some a space to do the, like have a mental release our mental you know, yeah, stress, stress, our mental yeah. issues. Because, you know, we have a lot of things we see on the job from any kind of robbery or any kind of 
you know, just any kind of crime. So we have to have a space to decompress and just have a space to relax and have fun. Wow. And you also do a little bit of community service, right? Yes, you absolutely. Out? So we do like going to the community, especially going to the schools to make sure that the kids have a place to exercise. So we do a lot of little intensive with the kids and do that. We also go to parades and galas. And they uh, they really just, they just love to dance. And, and dance. dance. Oh, man, you got moves better than Winky, I think. All right, so again, this is radio. We're not on TV, so you can't actually see this. I will attempt to describe this for you, although you're smart. You don't need too much description to uh, get what somebody dancing looks like. These people are not professional dancers. And yes, they're professional cops, but they're not dancers. So on this PIX11 new station, they have them dance, and they dance for a long time. What is, what is the amount of time a, a grown adult who's dressed in skin-tight um, dance attire, wearing knee pads and doing some form of like a, a, a modern hip-hop dance. Again, these are adults who are not professional dancers. How long do you think that they should be dancing before you kind of go, yeah, I, I get it. I get, I get what you're doing. I don't need to see this for this much the, the, for this length of time. Does four minutes sound like too long for you? Yes. The answer is yes to that question. Yes, it is. Four minutes is too long. But... They still did it. So this is them starting their dance. Again, this is just a little bit of the audio. I'm not going to make you sit through it. Again, it's a uh, audio medium. We are here. We're not a visual medium. If it was visual, I still wouldn't make you sit through it because I'm not cruel. This is what that sounded like. What are you going to perform for us today? So today we're dancing to Club Can't Handle Me by Flo Rida. My, it's my I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> That's his <Yeah>. jam. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to let you perform. Awesome. Thank you. All right, so they're dancing to Flow Rider. Flow Rider, however you pronounce his name. And it keeps going. All right, so imagine like three and a half more minutes of that. Uh, but afterwards, they did get some pretty high praise. Did you see some of those high kicks? I would not want to mess with them in the middle of a dark alley. I would not want to mess with them in the middle of a dark alley. I don't know. Like, if I'm going to have to deal with somebody, either a cop or a dance troupe, I would probably rather deal with the dance troupe. If I was somebody who was, you know, evading the law. If somebody shows up to try to deal with me, uh, I would I would be less scared. I guess if I'm being completely honest, I would be less scared of the sharks and the jets as the, as a cop. I would I would be much more uh, I would be much more frightened that a cop is going to just take me down and you know put me in cuffs and take me away. Somebody starts dancing at me, I'm probably not having a super strong reaction to it. I might I might just be in, like uncomfortable. And I might just walk away. In fact, it did remind me, and I'm not making fun. Honestly, you guys are texting me. You're saying I'm making fun of these people. I'm not. If this helps these cops be better cops, God bless them. That's great. The internet is not being super kind to them. Because NY, the NYPD is dealing with a lot of issues right now. Like I said, New York is dealing with a lot of issues. So the idea that they're uh, you know, highlighting their dance troupe is not getting a hugely warm reaction on the internet. But it did remind me of this clip from Arrested Development. When Tobias decides to take his dancing group of cops and they go out onto the streets to try to really make an impact. Tobias is planned. To-, to be fair, though, he's dancing with our, what are hot cops. So if you guys know the show Arrested Development, you understand that reference. It, it would take too long for me to explain right now. But here's the clip. Tobias is planned to change the streets with his gang. Also turned out to be ill-conceived. 
Hey, Fazellas. <laughs> Looks like you guys are up to no good. Well, this gang used to be like that two, three, four. So you think you're tough? Well, we hate rapping. But don't bust a captain, because here's what's happening. We're breaking out some old-fashioned tapping. All right, uh, I'm going to admit some of you guys that I find vaguely embarrassing, but I do, I, I, I feel like because I just kind of made fun of this dance troupe a little bit, I'm going to share something embarrassing with you about myself so that you know that I'm not a cruel person. I think it's okay that we kind of laugh at an NYPD dance troupe. I think we can all agree that that's just inherently kind of funny. When I was a kid, I, uh, I, I, I don't know where I saw this. I, I would have been like probably a... Um, some sort of a Christmas movie, or you think about like great dancers on classic movies, because my family watched a lot of classic movies. We didn't watch a whole lot of modern TV when I was a kid. My parents were pretty strict about what we watched. So when your parents don't let you watch things like The Simpsons, what you end up watching are a bunch of Danny Kaye movies, <laughs> which uh, a lot of the audience probably knows what that is, Danny Kaye. Uh, it's, and you end up watching a bunch of like black and white movies on AMC. AMC used to actually play old movies used to be called American movie classics. That's what AMC uh, used to stand for Uh, before they started making the breaking bads and the uh, uh, what's the Don Draper show. Uh, So that's what AMC used to make. And before they started doing walking dead, it was, it was guys dancing and old fashioned movies. And it was pretty great. And that's what we watched a lot of when I was a kid, we would watch Fred Astaire dancing around and I got it in my head. Like this guy's pretty cool. Fred Astaire is pretty cool, actually. And so for a very, very short time, I told my parents that I wanted to get into tap dancing because they offered tap dancing. Uh, it, we, I used to go to, a, uh, when I was uh, young, we had these uh, youth groups on Wednesday nights. And one of the classes they offered at the youth group was you could take different various classes on different things. One of those classes was tap dancing. So if you could imagine me, I must have been uh, probably like nine, ten years old. My parents gave me these tap shoes. Now, as soon as they got me the tap shoes, I kind of started having second thoughts. They're very shiny, very, very shiny shoes. And it's also really, really hard. Like if you've ever watched somebody like Fred Astaire dance around, he's a fantastic dancer. The average person, the average Jake out there like myself, pretty much have lead feet. Can't do it, which is why you just like, I was just literally like breaking the plexiglass stuff that we were dancing on all the time. I think I went to two classes and I said, nope, this is not for me. Um, who's the other fantastic dance? Oh, Gregory Hines. Isn't Gregory Hines a really great dancer too? So these are the guys that I watched and I got it in my head like, oh, I'm going to be like a cool uh, dancer. So this is what goes through your head when your parents don't let you watch Simpsons or let you watch any modern TV at all. You think, oh, what's really cool is tap dancing. Just like everybody's most popular movie character, Danny Kaye. Uh, little did I know that wasn't the most popular movie character at the time. That was like 50 years removed, but that's what happens when you're very sheltered. But then I got to tell when I got older right now, now I get to talk about how I used to be a tap dancer for a very short time. Not many of you can say that. So, uh, to anyone out there who also ended up in tap, God bless you. It's really tough. It's a lot harder than it looks. And if you stuck with it, congratulations. That's pretty cool. All right. Uh, let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about politics. There's just a bunch of political stuff in the news. It's kind of interesting. Let's talk about it.
this clip from uh, Charlemagne the God. You guys know who he is. He is a ra- fellow radio host, actually. Like, me and him are just colleagues. I actually don't know him, but he also hosts a radio show. He hosts a very, very popular syndicated show called The Breakfast Club. And he was recently talking to ABC's Jonathan Carl about Biden. A lot of people are wondering right now, is Biden actually going to be the candidate? All signs would point to yes, except people are saying he's not super exciting. And so here's Charlemagne the God, who I thought really described, he captured an essence of a of a complaint about Biden in a way that I haven't really heard described it like this before. It's so simple. There's a, there's a there's no there's no uh there's no uh question in my mind why he's so successful on the radio, mass communicating because he can kind of boil things down to simple little sound bites like this. Here's Charlemagne the God talking to ABC's Jonathan Carl about why some people aren't that excited about the candidates that we have to choose from, Trump and Biden. And he talks a little bit about Biden. Why is it not resonating? Well, he's, a, he's just an uninspiring candidate. Like, you know, there's nothing about, you know, Joe Biden that makes you want to listen to him. That's why he should be leaning on, you know, his vice president, Kamala Harris, who's way more charismatic than him. He should be le- leaning on, you know, other surrogates like, you know, Gavin Newsom or, you know, Shapiro in, in, in Pennsylvania. Like, he should be leaning on people who have are more inspiring than him, who are more charismatic than him, and he should just be, I guess, if you want to call it, the, the brains of the operation behind the scenes. Like, that sounds crazy that we're saying that about a president of the United States of America, but he, he has no main character energy at all. None. And what is that? Is that age? Is it the way he is? I mean, why, why do you, what, what, what's the problem? I don't think it has anything to do with, 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 with age. You know, I think it has just everything to do with, with him. Like, Donald Trump is, what, four years, three years younger than President Biden? But he just comes off a lot more youthful. He comes off, you know, like he has a lot more energy. And I always say this about them. Donald Trump seems more sincere about his lies than Joe Biden does about his truth. He's, he's totally right about that, by the way, about Donald Trump having so much more energy than Biden does. They're really close in age. Like, they're very, very close in age. They should they should basically, it's kind of a wash. I mean, I think Trump's 77. He's almost 78. Biden is 81. Uh, and they're just, they're very close. I just thought that description of him as having no main character energy was kind of interesting. He has no main character energy. You know who does have some main character energy? And people were actually asking about it. Gavin Newsom. I think it's just the youth might be the slick back hair. I don't know what it is, but Biden, uh, who's in Los Angeles for today, he's has a uh, uh, he's doing a fundraiser. At least he was yesterday. He was heading out the, to L.A. for a fundraiser. On his way out, he kind of stops uh, by the press pool as he's heading off to the helicopter. They're able to yell some questions at him. The question they asked though was a little odd, and it does not bode super well for what people are. You think they would ask some question about Biden himself? They're actually asking another question about why he's heading to California, and it has to do with Gavin Newsom. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Well, I'm looking for. I'm looking at you. We're looking at you. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't. I don't fully understand Biden's response, but in case you didn't hear what what the question was, the reporter says, "Hey, are you heading to California today to come up with a plan B for the 2024 election?" Are you going to be calling Gavin Newsom? Because a lot of people are speculating that Gavin Newsom somehow, I don't know how they're going to do this, but somehow they're going to shoehorn, shoehorn him in there and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be who runs against Trump when it actually comes down to it. Now, I don't know how that's all going to work, but we'll see. 
Nate Silver. Do you guys know who Nate Silver is? He's a uh, an author. He runs a blog called 538. Uh, he's a statistician. So he covers a lot of sports, but he also covers a lot of politics. And he kind of bursts onto the scene when a few years back he was able to make some political predictions that nobody else was making because he's really good at reading stats. And he was able to kind of like read the tea leaves in a way that nobody else was able to. And he like correctly predicted all these really obscure races. And so that's kind of how he burst onto the scene. He actually proposed an interesting idea. He proposed this idea about how he thinks that Biden could actually turn this ship around. Because this idea that Biden um, is not mentally fit and not really with it anymore because of his age. People have talked about him having a little bit of a, of a downturn mentally. Has he lost a step? That's a question people are always asking. He had that press conference the other day after that uh, special counsel report came out that basically questioned uh, uh, whether or not he is able to remember certain events. And then he came out and he gave a speech. Uh, uh, he talked to reporters for a very brief time. It did not go well. Uh, he uh, he While he was talking, he, he missed some names. And it was just like it didn't go super great. So Nate Silver, though, says, listen, there is a way for him to turn this around. We don't have to be just talking about Gavin Newsom. Biden could get people excited about him again. But here's what Nate Silver has to say. He said the Democratic convention is not until August 2nd. This is an option that Biden, the White House and Democratic leaders need to seriously consider. He says it is very far from an ideal option. But if the past couple weeks are any evidence, it might nevertheless be Democrats best option for beating Trump. Now, here's what I propose. Again, this is Nate Silver, not me. He says, over the course of the next several weeks, Biden should do four lengthy sit-down interviews with non-friendly sources. Non-friendly doesn't mean hostile. Non-friendly reporters with a track record for asking tough questions would work great. A complete recording of the interview should also be made public. This really isn't too much to ask, Nate says. There are, these are the sorts of interviews that every recent president has done. He makes a really good point there. Like, if Biden sat down for four hard-hitting, quote, hard-hitting interviews and let let them ask him real questions, then maybe he could get people back on his side. And just to, to give you uh, as, as some comparison, at this point in Barack Obama's presidency, he had done more than 400 of these interviews. Trump had given more than 300. Biden has given less than, less than 100, fewer than 100, 100 interviews since he became president. And a bunch of them are like kind of softball friendly podcast interviews. Like he'll go on like Conan O'Brien's podcast or whatever, but they're not super hard hitting interviews. I just thought that was a really interesting idea. I thought it was really interesting. The idea of him just sitting down, but can you imagine him actually doing that? Do you think he actually would do that? I have no idea. All right. uh, We got a lot more coming up. So stick around. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I have one of my favorite guests on with me right now. I haven't had a chance to have her on recently, so I looked her up today. I said, Mickey, what's going on? What stories do you have? And she just happened to have one of my favorite topics in the world that you covered. Isn't that funny? Really? Yes, this is one of my favorite topics in the wow. world. First, let me finish introducing her. Mm-hmm. Mickey Gomez, Cairo News Radio reporter. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So um, I read this on Axios and I'm like, I've got to dig digger. I've got to dig deeper. I've got to find out what's going on. Um, Apparently, Seattle is uh, uh, a UFO hotspot. I knew this already. You you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I knew this this? because I'm super into UFOs, but continue. All right. All right. So listen, I reached out to the National UFO Reporting Center and here's what I found out. Look up in the sky. It's not a bird or a plane. It could be an unidentified flying object. 
According to Axios.com, Seattle is a UFO hotspot. We had 86.5 UFO sightings per 100,000 residents every year between 2000 and 2023. But that doesn't make us the hotspot. The National UFO Reporting Center spokesperson Christian Steffian says that title goes to... No surprise is down by Area 51 in Nevada. We think mainly because a lot of people actually go there to look for UFOs. But when it comes to reporting UFOs, Stepien says the Jet City is somewhere in the middle. People there are more observant. They're looking at the night sky more. They're, they're certainly more aware of the UFO reporting center and liable to report what they see. And how much of what's reported is legitimate? Um, if you look at our website, you'll see that we actually will mark a lot of the sightings as, hey, this is a rocket that was launched from Vandenberg or Cape Canaveral, or this is a meteor or somebody saw Venus or something like that. Stepien says. And um, that doesn't mean that because we didn't debunk it, it's not something prosaic, you know, like a Chinese lantern or something like that. But when it comes to certain videos. But there are also others that, you just, there's no way. There's no way this was some kind of human-made craft. Like I said, a, a huge thousand-foot craft hovering silently over a house. I asked him, you've seen a large craft hovering over a house? I know people who have. My wife has actually seen something like that. And if you don't believe, step in. If you kind of ask your friends, your neighbors, your family, if you go around and ask people, have they ever seen anything? You're almost guaranteed to find someone who's seen something. I love UFO stories. Yeah. I can't get enough of them. I've never seen a UFO. I'll be honest. I like watching that show called, um, I think it's on Destination America called The Alaska Triangle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So they talk about how Alaska is a huge UFO hub. Yeah. And like people see UFOs there all the time, which is why I didn't know that Seattle was apparently a big hub as well. Yeah, so I have actually talked about the Alaska Triangle with Nate Gray Connors, who hails from Alaska. I don't yeah. know if you knew that about yeah. Nate. So he was saying, he told me once that when he was a kid, I think he was about nine years old or something like that, mm -hmm. but he's walking along this trail. He and his friend were out going fishing, as everybody does in Alaska, and they look up in the sky and just hovering out there, just a little bit of ways away, is like some sort of a black hole thing. He didn't know, he could, that's the best way he could describe it. Certainly back then, they probably weren't talking about black holes all the time. I'm not saying Nate's super old, but uh, it wasn't like in the uh, in the uh, uh, main uh, uh, zeitgeist like right. it is today. People talk about black holes and stuff all the time. Right. So he says there was like kind of what he looked, what would look like a black hole these days. And then also right near it was a UFO and he claims that he saw a UFO. And to this day, he says it's crystal clear in his head mm -hmm. and he's sure that's what he saw. And he just completely believes it. And that's the interesting thing. Who's the guy you talked to? What's his name again? Um, his name is Christian Stepien. And he is the chief technology officer for the National UFO Reporting Center. And I'll be honest with you. I I I want to believe. I, I believe Nate Connors. I yeah. mean, Connors is a stand-up guy, right? And so, you know, I work with him, love him, great guy. Yeah, there's and no reason not to trust e him. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he's told me the story before. And, and I've just... I'm like, wait a minute. He's told you too. He's telling stories more than once. Well, no, no, it was the day that he came to talk to you about the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I went, Oh, what are you going to talk about? And he's like, UFO. I saw UFO when I was a kid. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah. And then he shared the story with me after it aired. The Can't truth. Believe it. It. Here's the thing about it though. When you mm -hmm. talk to somebody who's had one of these experiences, yeah. the truth in their eyes right. that you are seeing 
Nate really had some sort of an experience. He took me back to that day when he was a little boy and he saw what it is that yes. he saw. And it's reflected in their yeah. eyes. And it doesn't mean it honestly it doesn't mean that it happened. It doesn't mean that they actually saw that. What's strange in Nate's case mm-hmm. is that he and his friend both saw the exact same thing at the exact same time. Right. And they've talked about it. And I find that odd. Like a lot of times, like this guy you were talking to, he mm-hmm. was saying that his wife, like he hasn't seen something, but his wife has seen something. So right. it's always one person removed. But to talk to somebody who has actually seen it uh, is fascinating. It is. And he, you know, and it's his job to go ahead and and not to disprove the videos, but to explain what's in the videos when they are posted on the website. And this National Reporting Center, that was originally in... Seattle, right? Or in the Washington area. in Seattle, and now it's in eastern Washington. And so uh, people still report all the time. Uh, They're getting ready to put together a top 10 list. I have the story on MyNorthwest.com. Click on Traffic and then Mickey, and then you can read more about it. Um, But he's got me very... He's got me very interested in this because I want to travel to Eastern Washington and I want to look up in the sky. I want to camp. I want to see what's out there. I've never seen a UFO or a UAP, an unidentified anomalous phenomenon, but I have seen a skinwalker. What? Yes. I was five years old. A skin, like a, a like an a, actual skinwalker, like yes. an alien skinwalker. Like it was uh, a coyote human. I don't know how to describe it, but growing up in Texas, uh, I believed a lot of the folklore. I guess I should ask, what is a skinwalker? I thought so a, sk- a skinwalker is some kind of um, animal human witch type thing. Oh, okay, and I thought so, it was like the gray man alien that we're th- no, okay, no, 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 no. Right. And so you know, um, my grandfather's Kickapoo. He was Kickapoo, and uh, my great grandfather was Apache. So we grew up with this very interesting. You know, ooh, you got to watch out because the Kukui is going to get you, or the or or, or Skinwalker. These are both Native American tribes. Well, in yes, in, in in southern region of of the United States. Okay, yes, yeah. and so I grew up with that kind of ingrained in me, in knowing that there is a Kukui and that there is a skin, that there are Skinwalkers. And when I was five, I saw one outside of our kitchen window at my grandmother's house, oh my walking gosh. by, and then a knock at the door, Stop. and I said, "Don't answer it." Are yeah. you serious? I'm serious. And, you know. So let me let me ask yeah. you this question. Because when I hear that instantly, mm-hmm. what my head says is, all right, well, this is a story she heard from her grandfather. No, this is she something a, that I experienced. She had a wild imagination and she just, you know, like put these things together. And then over time, it became real. So what what about it so specifically do you remember as a five-year-old I will, that I will convinces tell you. you that it was real? So my uncle, Sonny used to go away all the time on fishing trips. He would go on those big ships and they'd catch they'd catch uh, fish and shrimp in the Gulf of Texas. And he would go away for months at a time. And then he would come home. And I remember my grandparents saying, uh, we haven't seen Uncle Sonny in a while. We haven't heard from him because we didn't have cell phones back then. We had we got letters or phone calls. Yeah, Collect call. I remember. And then, okay. So um, I remember sitting in the kitchen at the dining room table there and, and feeling like Uncle Sonny's going to come home tonight. Like we haven't seen him in a long time. And I just I just knew he was coming home. And so I got up to go and get a glass of water. And I remember looking out my grandmother's kitchen window. And I remember seeing something walking right in front of the window. And I thought it was my uncle Sonny. And it wasn't. It was, I, I can't even describe it. I could probably draw it for you. And, um, and Still it was, after and all these years. After all these years. And it was walking and it had long arms and nails. And I just went, oh, skinwalker. And then the next thing you know, knock at the door. And I said, don't answer it. It's a skinwalker. And my family is just kind of like, what? And then uh, my mom actually opened up the door and it was my Uncle Sonny. 
What? Yes. So, but he, but not as a skinwalker. Not like, as a skinwalker, but it was my person. uncle Sonny, and he was home, and I just thought, wow. Maybe yeah. he transformed. I like don't know. So is it kind of like a werewolf, like a half animal, half human? Maybe situation? I guess so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like that's—is that what a skinwalker is sometimes it, thought it, to be, or is it, or is it just—it's a totally different it's thing. It's a Not witch a that is a that that goes from a human-like appearance to um to an animal-like appearance, maybe like a coyote standing up on its hind legs, walking, but gotcha. as tall as a human. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, yeah. So, so mm-hmm. into, and we got our time is short, but I find this really interesting. Mm-hmm. I have never seen anything like that. Yeah, that's the only thing I've ever seen one but, time. That's it. But I kind of believe in that stuff and there's just there's something out there where i don't understand why mm-hmm. we like we don't have any evidence of bigfoot right right but i desperately want to believe that it's there's like Bigfoot's the null out there. hypothesis you can't believe it's real you can't believe it's you, you can't prove it's real you can't prove it's yes. not real right yes. yeah. you know i mean i know what i experienced i i tell myself sometimes maybe it was a dream and i'm like no i vividly remember that moment it was not a dream it really happened and so, yeah, that's it's wild. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. I love stories like that. All right. Well, Mickey Gomez, <laughs> uh, learning something new about her and today. And just so you know, I've only shared this with you, so. Well, and now our giant audience. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Mickey Gomez, thanks for coming in. You're very welcome. All right. We got a lot more coming up. Stick around. We're going to be right back here on Cabra Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scoreheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I want to tell you guys a story. I don't know why this popped up on the internet because I don't know that this has a specific relevancy to this date. doesn't seem to be from what I read, but it's a fascinating story nonetheless. So I think you're going to enjoy it. I was captivated by it, so I hope you guys are too. And I had never heard this story before. It's kind of one of those like un- unsung stories of Vietnam. And... Maybe you've heard of this before, but this was new to me. So I'm really interested in this. And if you're interested in stories about Vietnam, actually, there's a really good podcast I listen to. Um, You guys know who Jack Carr is? Jack Carr is a former Navy SEAL. He then turned into a phenomenally successful author. He wrote a series called The Terminal List, which was then also made into a very successful TV series on, um, I believe it's on Amazon Prime, starring Chris Pratt. It's... A really great show. You should check it out. And the book is really, I mean, he's got all these books now. uh, And so you should check those out too. They're really good. But he hosts a podcast called Danger Close, where he talks to former military guys and guys who have actually served in the armed forces. A lot of times he's talking to former Navy SEALs or Green Berets. And he talks to a lot of guys out of it who, who served in Vietnam. Really fascinating, super interesting stuff. So if you're into that kind of stuff at all, like I am, I think you'll like it. You should give it a, a follow and check it out. But this story jumped out at me. This is a story from Vietnam. I'd never heard of this before, but listen to this. There was a captured U.S. Navy sailor whose name was Douglas Hegdahl. Now, Douglas Hegdahl was a uh, Navy sailor who just went up on deck at some point. He, I guess he broke, um, he broke the rules and he went up on his own without being accounted for. He found himself on the deck of the ship in, uh, 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 in enemy territory and one of the guns went off. I don't know why they fired the guns, but one of the guns went off. He falls overboard. He's floating in the water for 12 hours. He's eventually picked up by some fishermen who turn him over to the North Vietnamese. He gets sent to the Hanoi Hilton. Again, just this like sailor who wasn't supposed to be there. He gets sent to the Hanoi Hilton and he plays dumb. And they think he's really, really dumb. In fact, they think he's disabled and basically give him free reign of the camp because they think he's an idiot. 
What they don't know is that he has a photographic memory and he's going around the entire camp memorizing every single service member's name and little details about their life so that someday if he ever got out, he could convey that information back and the family members of these people would be made aware that they're still alive. Listen to him describe how he did that. He memorized all their names and he put it to music in his head and he memorized it to the name to the song of Old MacDonald Had a Farm. I was put with the Air Force officer, uh, Joe Kraka. He thought that if anybody would be released, it would probably be me. So I started to commit all names to memory. And at first I thought it'd be an impossible task. He said, make it a rhyme or a jingle. So it was like this. Uh, give you an example. It was 260 eventually. I used to have a little skit I'd go through. It was like this. Lieutenant Colonels Crow, Jem, Hughes, and the Mar Gordon, Larson, Robbie Reisner, Strickland, Major Zeller, Baker, Hal Burst, Jim, Jack Bullmark, Dick Bissett, Don Burns, Ron Burns, Arbrell, Fred Cherry, Will Gideon, Larry Gunner, Jim Highshaw, Ken Huey, Sam Johnson, Lumikowski, Remarried, I'll run it. And when I got back, I told, uh, I was telling my debriefer, and he says, can you slow it down? I said, no, it's like riding a bicycle. You know, you tip over, you know. Isn't that amazing? He memorizes all those uh, all those names. He's eventually released. He goes home, and because he memorizes all these names, and then they have a very public uh, 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 press conference where he talks about it, now they have to keep these guys alive because everyone knows that they're there. And so these these all these guys who are in the Hanoi Hilton credit this uh, Douglas Hegdahl with saving their life. Because he made it out with their names. And so the North Vietnamese army suddenly had to be held accountable on the national stage to make sure that these prisoners of war were not just disappeared. So really fascinating, really cool story. Uh, check that out. Look that up if you get a chance. It's like you could go down that rabbit hole forever. All right, that's it for us, guys. I hope you have enjoyed the show. We have certainly enjoyed bringing the show to you. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. We got a great show coming up for tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss a second of it. So we're going to see you right back here tomorrow. But for tonight, we got to go. I'm tired. Night-night.